Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome all to Legends of the 70s podcast. Joining me in this episode is Forest legend, Mr. John Prescott McGovern. How are you, John? Yeah, very well, thank you. Who, at the age of 19, became the youngest player to play in all four divisions of the Football League. That will never be achieved again, John, because now there's three divisions and we've got the Premier League. Well, nice to hold a record that nobody else can beat. (laughs) You also held a record for holding the European Cup in two different decades, 79 for Forest and 80 for Forest. So, well done, sir. Serbian media. And um, while we're talking about Forest and winning European Cups, before we take a trip down memory lane, let's just dwell on that fact that you did win the European Cup twice in 1979 and 1980. So let's just briefly talk about that rivalry, Nottingham Forest versus Liverpool. And for the younger listeners, these are two of the greatest teams that British football has ever seen. And when I say that, between 1976 and 1981 Liverpool Football Club and Nottingham Forest Football Club owned the European Cup Yes, that was a, obviously a great achievement by both clubs yeah. Liverpool were recognised I think as the best the best team in Europe anyway so yeah. we were a bit cheeky to go and pinch the league from them and then pinch the European Cup from them as well <laughs> but it was only on a temporary basis although it lasted for a couple of seasons for us And Liverpool also won the league title in 1975-76, 76-77. Forest won it 77-78, Liverpool 78-79, and again Liverpool 79-80. You two teams didn't just conquer Europe, you owned the English first division as well. What was it like playing in them big games, John? I hear people saying it was just another game, but Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest was not a normal game. I remember as a 12, 13-year-old, kid being introduced into those battles well we were the new kids on the block yeah you know Liverpool were the established side Shankly had put together you know a team and continued to do so that we're going to conquer Europe and be you know one of the outstanding teams in Europe so when we came along uh, we weren't really recognized I I don't think but uh, to be fair when we won promotion and then won the the old first division championship as they called it by seven points um, in our first season up there, I think people realised, no, no, this isn't just going to be a flash in the pan. And even when we managed to to win the League Cup and then the European Cup in the same season, um, I think we were still not really or generally accepted. But of course, when you when you win the European Cup for the second consecutive year, people have to stand up and, and just say, no, this is a good side. And obviously... Brian Clough and Peter Taylor, the management duo, did fantastic jobs in recruiting players and getting the best out of some of the players that were at Forest when they took over in the old second division. So, And the strange thing is that after we'd won the league, um, the following year, uh, we only lost three league matches 
but Liverpool won the league. <laughs> so it's a little bit like Liverpool and Manchester City this season. <laughs> that close. Absolutely. And and when we talk about the older European Cup, I know we've got the Champions League these days, but you can finish in the top four places. In old money, in the European Cup, you had 42 preliminary games, if you like. That was your qualification to get into the European Cup. Unless, of course, you won the European Cup, as did Liverpool, as did Nottingham Forest. And that's why in the late 70s, we had two teams always vying for top dogs, not just in the first division, but in Europe as well. Well, it's misnamed now. They call it the Champions League. And as you said, you, you don't have to be champions of your country to get into the competition. So they should have called it the Champions League when we were playing in it. And they should call it the European Cup now. And then you're being a little bit more accurate. Absolutely. What was it like playing in those games, though, those big games? And I remember as a kid when Nottingham Forest uh, won the league, they got into that European Cup. They were rubbing shoulders with the big boys. And, and I guess you were looking at going to the likes of, of Milan or going to Madrid. or And you did draw out Liverpool in that first game. And you beat them 2-0. And one of your defenders scored, a, what was it, the second goal? Gary Burtle scored a magnificent latched on and scored the first goal. But to beat Liverpool 2-0 in that first game was, was something. And not only could you attack, you could defend as well, Forrest. Well, the strange thing is about that tie was that uh, we were all waiting for the draw to be made, sat round a, a small transistor radio and were busy discussing between ourselves, the players, you know, I fancy going to Italy. Oh, no, I don't want to go to Italy. I want to go to France. I want to go to Germany. And then, and then we find out we're not even leaving the country. And we're in a tournament called the European Cup. And we're actually playing against Liverpool. So it was, it was a bitter disappointment, really, that we weren't going to be leaving the country and playing the European Cup in the first match. So, But obviously we managed to get over that and beat the European champions to make progress so it was just quite ironic that we it is the european cup it was our first first uh, appearance in it and and we weren't leaving the country and liverpool must have thought not forest again because you'd beaten in the 1978 league cup final and there was a bit of controversy in that game john robertson scored the goal from the penalty spot in the replay but it was John O'Ware that got the penalty that that wasn't actually inside the penalty box. But uh, and it was given and uh, Robbo tucked it away, didn't he? Yeah, he was very efficient, John Robertson, when it came to taking penalties. I think yeah. in all the time he was at Nottingham Forest for years and years, I think he missed one penalty. Certainly when I was there, he only missed one. Um, John O'Hare, as you said, uh, got the penalty. He was, He replaced myself because the match was a replay. Um, at Old Trafford, I, I got injured in the the match at Wembley, the the actual final. So for the replay, I wasn't fit. So John O'Hare took my place. So he made a obviously a significant contribution um, with a little bit of help by a, a refereeing mistake. Um, referees do make mistakes. Um, players make mistakes. Managers make mistakes. Chairmen make mistakes. Everybody in the world makes mistakes. Why we can't just do out do away with VAR altogether and just accept that it's a human trait that people do make mistakes and just get on with it. Um, but on that night, obviously, I'm sat in the stand and I'm, I'm I'm jumping up and down like one of the supporters when the penalty went in. And then, like all the other supporters, I was biting my nails waiting for the final whistle to see if we'd actually done it. Absolutely. 
but making mistakes as well let's just rewind slightly to may 1977 there was a game an infamous game last game of the season Bolton Wanderers entertained Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves yep. won, and you guys got promoted in third place. And you were on the aeroplane over to Spain, wasn't you? When the pilot uh, announced that Nottingham Forest were now promoted to the first division. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I can remember that season because our last home game was against Millwall, and uh, unfortunately for him, the Millwall, the Millwall fullback headed into his own net to give us a 1-0 victory that actually put us in with a chance of being promoted. But we were on our way, as you said, over to Mallorca for an end-of-season break. And uh, and then we found out that the, the results had gone for us um, and we'd actually won promotion. So ideally, when you're going away to sort of um, finish the season, what the celebrations followed in, in good form, really, when we got over there. People said, what did you do? I said, I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember getting off the plane. But it was a stroke of luck and ingenuity that that got Wolverhampton Wanderers that result. Because there was a free kick. Willie Carr took the free kick and Kenny Hibbett scored. But Kenny actually touched the ball, so he activated it. The Bolton wall broke. Willie Carr feinted to, to hit the ball and then withdrawed it then he put it over and Ken scored now on commentary Gerald Sinstan said that was well rehearsed I've spoken to Kenny Hibbett he didn't he made the mistake and fine margins he could have been ruled offside he wasn't but a goal that was ruled out for uh, for offside was from Neil Watmore, so Bolton could have got a 1-1 result there and Forrest wouldn't have got promoted. It's all fine margins, John, and I think you're right. Let's do away with VAR and let's just have association football as it was meant to be in old money. Well, you become big enough and decent enough as human beings then to to realise, yes, people do make mistakes and you, you shouldn't hold it against them. And in sport, you know, there wouldn't be any results... In, in, in matches, you know, unless people make mistakes, you know, miss a tackle, you know, the keeper drops one, you know, back passes intercepted and scores a goal. You know, it happens all the time. You know, why why can't we big enough be big enough as people and strong enough as people to say, listen, you know, I mean, VAR it slows the game down. There's even arguments that it, they still haven't got it right, even though it's it's a computer that is supposedly ruling whether you score or not. I think to judge whether the ball goes over the line of the opposition's goal. I think VAR should be used for that one because sometimes when the ball hits the underside of the crossbar and goes down onto the the goal area, it does go over the line. So for incidents like that, that are you know, the goals are static things. So, you know, it's easy to see there whether the ball went over the line or not. Use it for that, most certainly. But in all other areas of the field, just just accept the referee and, and, and accept what he says. Be big enough to accept that. Be strong enough and be intelligent enough to accept it. You know, because you know it'll happen to you and happen against you throughout the whole season. Absolutely. Let's go back in time. Prescott, where did the, the name Prescott sit in between John McGovern? Is that a family name? No. I mean, obviously, McGovern's my family name. No, no, but, um, but sometimes they have middle names that go through generations, don't they? Whereas an uncle or a father, or etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and it's I a think, name that I creeps think, up. I think I was given the Prescott from a character in a book. 
Okay. Um, that my dad had read. Um, so it was it was just given the name. I didn't know the origin, but I think it was from a character in the book that my dad read. So that that's where I think it comes from. And the 28th of October, 1949, uh, 72 <laughs> years young now, John. Born in Montrose, but you moved to Hartlepool, didn't you, when you was uh, seven years of age? Yes, I did. Yep, seven years. My dad moved down to find work, believe it or not, in Hartlepool, in the northeast of England. We had some relations there. Uh, a couple of uh, uncles lived there um, and aunts lived there. So we ended up moving from Montrose because my dad um, wanted to find work. And we moved down there and um, he found work. And obviously um, I lost my dad uh, when I was 11. Um, he was working abroad in a place called Accra in Ghana, in Africa. He'd been away working for two years and then was coming home and then was involved in an accident where he was killed and he was the only casualty of the accident. So that was a big shock in, in our lives as a family, but uh, you've just got to get on with life. And uh, I can remember my mum, strangely enough, saying to me, you don't have to go to school this afternoon. Uh, and I said, no, I'm going back to school. And the funny thing was, when I went back to school, everybody knew my dad had been killed. Mm. <laughs> and we just found out as a family about an hour before at home. So um, sad times. But then I think if my dad had been around, he wanted me to continue my schooling. My mum wanted me to continue my schooling. Um, and strangely enough, when I first started playing football and Brian Clough and Peter Taylor took an interest in, in, in signing me, uh, my grandmother was staying with us in Hartlepool and she persuaded my mum to let me sign for Brian Clough as an apprentice when my mum wanted me to stay on at school and said, your dad did, so you're going to stay on at school. But thank goodness my grandmother was there because she let me go into the footballing world. Now, your grandmother had a big influence in your football because you went up to, to stay with your, your grandmother in, in Bowness and that's really where your, your footballing education started. You were a bright lad. You went to grammar school, John, didn't you? You played rugby and cricket at school and were captain of both teams. Yeah, I did for three years, captain both and wanted to be a tennis player. <laughs> so it's strange how things work yeah. out. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd actually um, was a big fan of Rod Laver, the, the Australian player. Uh, I thought, well, I would love to do that. And I was very keen on my tennis. But when my my mum used to take me up to my grandmother's in Scotland and leave me there for the summer holidays and the Easter holidays and the half-term holidays because she had to uh, clothe and feed myself, my brother and my sister. So she used to leave me with my grandmother and I took my cricket bat up with me and I took my rugby ball up with me. But none of the kids where my grandmother lived um, played either cricket or rugby. So... Next door garden, there's a a game going on. The ball came over the fence. I kicked it back over to them. And they said, do you want to join in? We're playing three aside, but there's only five of us and you'll even the sides up. So I went over and played with them and had that much fun and enjoyed it so much because I was stuck at my grandmother's on my own um, that I joined them day after day. And I think I played football with them every single day. And that, that was my first kind of taste of actually playing football i mean it was just in a garden but we had some great fun and the humor was marvelous so so the enjoyment was so, so good that um when i was asked to play another little sort of just knockabout games up in scotland in bonus I, I joined in those as well and eventually uh, when i came back to hartlepool and reached the age of, of 15 um i joined a local 
team called Central Park that played in the Church League Division 2 um, and became friends with one of the players, Kenny Jessup, who remained one of my best friends um, until he passed away a few years ago. So um, that was literally where I, I first started to play and I had one season in that junior football um, before, obviously, I signed apprentice terms uh, for Brian Clough at, at Hartlepool. What was that first meeting between you and, and, and Brian Clough? Uh, Peter Taylor was with him as well at Hartlepool, wasn't he? So they were both young men. I think I think Brian was probably 29, 30 maybe when he took on that Hartlepool's job. Well, that was his first position yeah. management. And uh, he was as forthright and <laughs> outspoken as, as he always was. Um, first time I met him, he told me to stand up straight and get and get my hair cut, you know, because I look like a girl. This is this is in the sixties, of course. Yeah. You know, when the Beatles and the Rolling Stones are making headway in the pop music business, and uh, I fancied myself as the next Mick Jagger if if I made a, a career out of singing songs. Uh, so I tried to grow my hair and and look like him, but Mr. Clough was very much against long hair in those days. Um, so eventually. Years, I mean, I always had a running battle with him about my hair, you know, because I did want to wear it long. Um, but he was exactly the opposite, and we had a kind of running battle for years and years until a few years later at Derby, I just decided, oh, I'm, I'm going to change, and I got it cut down to almost a, a head cut, um, which he gave me a strange look at once he spotted that. Uh, but that was only I'd gone from one extreme to the other. Now, you've played for Brian and, and Peter for four different teams. Hartlepool's was your first. You moved down to Derby. But you mm. didn't just move down to Derby. You moved the family down so you wouldn't be homesick. You played at Leeds United and then, of course, Nottingham Forest. We'll get on to those later. But Derby County, what a team they were. And you won the Football League Championship with Derby County, didn't you? Well, it was, it was a, a fantastic move, really, yeah. because Clough had left Hartlepool. Um, to manage at Derby. It was a year before he actually signed me. Um, but in that year, we won promotion at Hartlepool for the first time in the club's history. So it was a fantastic honour, you know, to to win promotion at Hartlepool because I think the previous few years they'd had to apply for re-election, uh, a system where if you ended up in the bottom four or something, you had to actually reapply to get into the league. There were no other leagues. Um but um, yeah, it was when I moved when I moved down to Derby. It was they were in the running for promotion from the second division. So I'd left Hartlepool in the third division. So I ended up uh, graduating from like League Four, League Three, League Two, and League One in the space of two years yeah. through Hartlepool's promotion, and then obviously Derby Counties. Um, but I was when I managed to break into the Derby side. I didn't break in immediately, but I managed to break into the side. But I mean, I'm playing with people like uh, Dave, Dave Mackay, who was, you know, former Tottenham and Scotland player, and he was a fantastic influence on me. And there were lots of other good players there. You know, John O'Hare was there, and um, Kevin Hector, um, Roy McFarland, they had a, uh, Willie Carlin, an ex-Liverpool player who was very, very good player, Alan Hinton, Alan Durban, you know, Colin Bolton, the goalkeeper. So we, we had a we had a fantastic team um, at Derby, and I think we we won I think the league by about six or seven points or something for the old second division. So my first season there, I end up getting a, 
<laughs> a medal for getting promoted. Heroes growing up, John. Uh, you've mentioned your, your tennis hero, Rod Laver. Who are your football yeah. heroes? Well, I used to keep a scrapbook of Jimmy Greaves and Dennis Law because, you know, like every young player, you know, you, when you first start playing, you want to be a goal scorer uh, because they get all the glory. <laughs> and then um, I think that's always been the case. But yes. They always get more headlines than yeah. anyone else. So, But I knew I knew from an early stage I was never, ever going to be a striker. You know, I, wasn't, I didn't have the absolute ability or build to be successful as a striker. But at Derby County, to be part of that side, I mean, that was the, the first... I mean, at Hartlepool, it was great to have won promotion for the first time in the club's history. But, I mean, Derby County were a, a bigger club, obviously. And then and then when we get into the the top league, um, we're playing against, you know, the, the Tottenham's, the Liverpool's, the Manchester United. So we're, we, re, we really are in the big time. Um, and, and it was a massive step up. And in the space of two years, I'd played in all four divisions. Football League, as you said, and was the youngest player to do that. And that Derby County team was a fabulous team. Done quite well in Europe as well. Um, sadly, I think uh, they were you were cheated. I think Brian Clough said, "What was it, Juventus uh, out of a game?" And well, he, just... he weren't very happy with the uh, in the press room after, was he? Well, as a player, I, I I couldn't believe that a referee could be as biased as the referee was that night when yeah. we played. Against Juventus, I mean, I, I looked around. We've got television cameras there, uh, we've got the press there, and the referee made it so obvious. Mm. It was almost embarrassing. Yeah. Um, you know, the first two players that we had booked, I think, were Roy McFarland and Archie Gemmell. They were the only players that had had yellow yellow cards had been booked in the previous rounds, which meant that they missed the replay. So, you know, it was just so obvious that the referee was was biased. And yeah. It's the only match I've ever come off, and I was nearly in tears because I, I couldn't believe they could get away with that. Mm. Not so blatant. Um, so really upsetting, you know, because we'd got to the semi-final at the first attempt, knocked out Benfica, uh, you know, who the great Eusebio plays for, um, on our path to the, you know, trying to get to the final. And, uh, you know, we didn't manage to make it, but... It was just incredible how a referee could just give every decision in the book to the opposition in front of television cameras and reports, and uh, well, they got away with it. <laughs> Absolutely, there is press uh, uh, co- coverage uh, of that, and if you go onto YouTube, there is one when Brian Clough walks in there and says, "I'm not talking to you because you're a cheating bunch," of, and then walks out. Well, that was Brian Clough. He just said exactly what he thought. He didn't hold no punches. He then walked out on Derby and ended up well, uh, Brighton and then Leeds United, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was there was obviously a fallout between the chairman and um, when he left left the club. Um, I think the chairman had kind of called his bluff, really, because I yeah. think I don't think Clough really wanted. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. 
But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. To leave, he wanted to get things his way, but the chairman was a very strong character. Sam Longson was his name. Um, and he said, well, if you said you want to leave Brian, you're leaving. And that was it. Um, I'm sure Clough regretted it. And the players had one or two meetings to see if there was any way possible to get him back to the club. But once once uh, the chairman had made up his mind, that was it. And eventually, as you mentioned, he went he went down to manage at Brighton um, with Peter Taylor again, obviously. And then went to Leeds United, which seemed quite strange because he'd been very critical of them for the style of play that they, they had. And, and obviously, when he first arrived at Leeds United, um, I heard from Norman Hunter that the statement he made, he cheated to win these medals, throw them, you can throw them in the dustbin, actually was said by Clough. Um, and I said to Norman Hunter, I wish you'd have phoned me up and told me, Norman, I wouldn't have bothered coming. <laughs> treated you... like I was treated like a leper at Leeds. Yeah, you Leeds were, not, it... not a nice experience. No, it was a strange club for Brian Clough to go to but I've spoken to an interview both Johnny Giles and and Alan Clark and and both were of the opinion or certainly Alan Clark was of the opinion that Brian Clough was the right man but at the wrong time all that he said and said a lot more but he wanted to go into Leeds because he thought that he could win the league and win the league better than Don Reeve who'd left to go and take the England job but he did take you he took John Maher I think he brought in Duncan McKenzie and you're right the amount of abuse that you received was absolutely horrendous now because Brian had took you and, and John O'Hare from, from Derby County, you know, that wasn't your fault. You were just, as a professional footballer, doing a job. That stick that you got, uh, I was talking to Steve Daly not long ago uh, about his Manchester City days. He got horrendous stick as well. Sometimes the fans just go overboard, don't they? Well, I've, I've actually had one or two Leeds fans since that have apologised yeah. um, to me face to face and said, I'm, you know, I do apologise, you know, but I was one of the ones that was booing you, you know, when you when you tried to, when you made your debut at Leeds. Um, but uh, they say that what goes around comes around. So every time I go back to Leeds United now, I wear my European Cup winners. <laughs> Lucky because they've not seen one of those. They haven't, but they was also cheated out of that 1975 final as well, as they were cheated out the 1973 final against Milan. English clubs in Europe, before we conquered it, were cheated out, but then we actually owned European competitions, so that mm. was the difference. Luckiest and unluckiest grounds, John, that you played on? Uh, I'm not sure if there was like luckiest grounds, mm-hmm. uh, but of course you want to play at the Old Traffords. Yeah. You know, you want to. I mean, when I was at Derby County, we, we had one of the smallest pitches, believe it or not, in the, in the old First Division, and, and Arsenal also had one of the smallest pitches in in the old First Division. So I just used to like to play on a ground when it was full. Yeah. I mean, you go you go to Liverpool in those days, an hour before kickoff, you go out to test the surface, you know, and see what studs you want to wear or what boots you want to wear. And, you know, the cop in Liverpool was full an hour before kickoff. So, so you know, there, there were fanatics at, at Liverpool and a, a really big city club. 
You know, I mean, Derby County are not really a big city club. Uh, Nottingham Forest are not really a big city club in the same context as when you're talking about the Manchester clubs or the London clubs like Chelsea and Tottenham. Obviously, Liverpool and Everton, along with the Manchester, the big clubs. But obviously, at my time, both of those clubs was very successful, so it was most enjoyable. If you could replay a game that you played in, John, what game would it be and why? Uh, replay a game? Yeah. Um, I can't really put my my finger on one game, you know, but there are there are obviously certain games when things didn't go for it. I don't think it would have made any difference because of the referee if if I mentioned the Juventus game when I was at Derby. But um, I think probably the the Southampton league, not the Southampton, the um, the Wolves Cup League Cup final against Wolves. Yeah. Because we we obviously beat Liverpool over two games to win it, and then you know we beat Southampton, and um, our third consecutive League Cup final was against Wolves, and we lost one nil, and and we really really were a bit flat that day. Um, I think if if Wolves played this ten games, we'd probably win nine out of ten against them in those yeah. days. Uh, but that was the one game, and it's at Wembley, and. People says, well, you know, you still make it to Wembley, so it's not a, a sad feeling. If you lose at Wembley, it's a it's a horrible feeling. I'll tell you when you lose um, a football match as a professional, but especially at Wembley on such an occasion where you you want to please the fans and your family who've all come to the match. And such a calamitous goal as well. Yeah, it's a mistake. You see, there's a mistake. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we just had to suffer it and get on with it. Yeah, Andy says it was his most difficult goal that he ever scored. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got a sense of humour. He certainly has. If you could revisit one season uh, during your playing career, what season would you like to go back to and why? Well, I think think it would be that first season at Forest where we just won promotion. Uh, We were the the underdogs in the division. We didn't quite know what was going to happen. Um, but Brian Clough made three sensational signings in, in, in Peter Shilton, Archie Gemmell and Kenny Burns. Um, now, those three would be recognised as automatics, you know, for Scotland. And Peter Shilton holds the record number of caps um, playing for England, 125 caps, you know. So you look at those three added to the team that had come up that was hungry uh, for success and keen as mustard. And, and we went into that first season I think with uh, no fear you know we played with no fear because there were no expectations on us so so that was you know I'd like to go about that but but most of my career was enjoyable anyway you know I mean created history at Hartlepool winning promotion for the first time you know Derby won second and first division medals and then at Forest went went even better than that so I had a very very fortunate time in football and uh, I just appreciated being around and you could say it was a little bit of luck when my grandmother persuaded my mum to let me become an apprentice at Hartlepool and, and obviously Messrs Taylor and Clough uh, looked after me in a sense by employing me at four different clubs and they were they were the up and coming heroes of the day to the supporters because they got results very quickly with the clubs that they joined. You got a great um, result at Goodison Park as well first game of the season and you was also going to get a bollocking wasn't you off Brighton until there was a knock on the door. Yeah, that's right. Um, and the strange thing was that Brian Clough, being as outspoken as he was, he, he wouldn't let anybody come in the dressing room, especially just after a match. He wouldn't, nobody is allowed in there. It's sacrosanct, you know. So when he said, oh, please come in. To listen to the rest of this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash SRB media or just follow the links in the description.
Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.